0: Thank you, thank you, thanks Matt. Thank you, friends, thank you so much. Oh, well, grab a seat, tell the person next to you say, I'm glad you're here today. <laughs> uh, if we can, da- yeah, those two just a little down, those two on those, that would be really helpful for me Then I make better eye contact. Oh, wow, there you go, they're off. Can you still see me? <laughs> yeah, can you see how good looking I am? Yeah, can, you, can you see <laughs> Oh, is it? Oh, right. (laughs) I stole Barry's line. Okay. Yeah, he is better looking than me. I'll give him that. He can do more press-ups anyway. Uh, It's so good to come to a church where people are getting married and babies are happening. You know, that's just a sign of life and health, and that's all good stuff. And uh, it's great to be with you in a church where the only way is Essex. Come on. Come on. (laughs) Hey, I want to talk to you this morning about um, wholehearted worship. You know, we're talking about raising a hallelujah. Uh, We're talking about worship. We're talking about praise. And I I don't know about you. This has been an incredible journey for me. For those of you who don't know my history, um, at eight years of age, I was introduced to church at eight. Well, actually, I was introduced to church at five. It was a Catholic church, and uh, I had to go to the priest and confess my sins, and I didn't even know what sins were. Uh, and I remember, you know, remember say to, to the priest, you know, well, what's a sin, you know, if I've got to confess it? And he goes, well, do you lie? You know, I was five. I was trying to think, you know, like, well, how bad can you be at five? <laughs> it's like, well, I don't always show up when my mum says, and I don't, you know, sometimes I say I washed my hands when I hadn't. You know, it's like really bad stuff. So that's how I was introduced to church. But then at eight, I was introduced to church, a brethren church. Uh, so I grew up within the brethren movement until I was about 18. And so the idea of expressive praise um, was not something I grew up with. Uh, I, I grew up with where in our morning service, there were no instruments whatsoever. Everything was sung uh, Instruments weren't allowed. And then in the evening service, the gospel service. Uh, You know, we had the piano, because that just helped things. (laughs) And and that was the environment I grew up with. So the first time I went to a service where people were just raising hands, expressive, you just need to know how foreign that was to me. Um, And in my life, God has taken me on a journey where I've just found more freedom to express myself. In fact, I found myself resistant to do things. Like when people would say, raise your hand, something in me went, no. (laughs) I know there's some of you like that in the room. I just want to say to you, I understand you. Yeah. I totally get you. Is that okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you're allowed to be naughty, but I hope I can shift you too. Yeah, because, because staying that way isn't, isn't that helpful, actually. And I remember arguing with somebody, saying, you know, it's just, well, it's the Pentecostals who raise their hands. And, and this guy said to me, do you know there's seven times in the Bible where we're, we're commanded to raise our hands? And I said, no, I didn't know that. That was before I went to Bible college. And then I began to study praise and worship in the Bible. And I began to let go of my view of how different denominations or different churches were expressing. I thought, well, how does Jesus like it? You know, and how does Jesus do it? And, uh, and, and I allowed myself to go on that journey. And I allowed myself to break out of both my tradition and my culture. My tradition was the church kind of way of doing things I'd grown up with. My culture was the British thing. You know? (laughs) Um, A few weeks ago, I went to watch Crystal Palace versus Aston Villa. Now, you need to know, I'm not a huge football fan. I'm not a huge... But Premier League, and I got a director's box. When somebody offers you a three and a half grand director's box to go and watch a football match with a three-course meal, you're not going to say no, are you? (laughs) You know, you have to be an idiot. I thought, yeah, I'll go there. And uh, it was an amazing experience. And as I watched this football match, the Holy Spirit said to me, look at the way they worship. And I hadn't thought of it like that before, but... It was wholehearted devotion to their team. You know, when, uh, when Crystal Palace scored, everyone went nuts, nuts. You know what I love? They started to sing songs and change the words, you know? And it was just, it was worship. It was like adulation. It was praise. It was like, let's exalt this goal. And then when Aston Villa scored and then it was disallowed, oh, man alive. <laughs> And, like, at the end of the match, there was a bundle that broke out. It was, like, just like church. <laughs> it was, <laughs> we're just more polite than when we break out a bundle. And, 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 and it was amazing to me just watching all of just just the passion, the excitement, yeah. the commitment. Yeah. And, and some of these people were just, you know, like, like, they were paying a lot of money to be there. Because yeah. they wanted to be in on the action. And I was just thinking, what would happen if church began to be like that? And by the way, have you noticed at a football match that British, and the British people, us, we're not characteristically British? Because British, you know, we have this reputation around the world that we're a bit reserved, you know, that we hold back a little bit. And in most contexts, we do, until it's football. (laughs) And it's amazing to me, even if you're in somebody's home, and you're watching football they get excited they get passionate it's like they're sort of shouting at the tv they can't hear you (laughs) what are you doing you know but we get so passionate we get so involved and we're sort of talking and we're talking to the ref he can't hear you But you're telling him what he should be doing. And it's like, oh my goodness, how is that possible? And it's because in the moment of excitement, in the moment of our passion, we break out of our culture. We break out of people's expectations. And we enter into the spirit of what's going on. I believe worship in the kingdom is meant to be like that. Let me read to you some scriptures and then I'll unpack this a little bit more. This is Jesus in Matthew chapter fifteen, seven through 9. A bit of a tough verse, this one. He's quoting Isaiah 29. He says this, hypocrites. (laughs) That's how he starts. It's like, okay, let's win them over. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I believe that one of the greatest dangers in life is that we go through routines where we say the right things, but our heart is not engaged. And that's a dangerous place to be, I believe. To to say something, but without sincerity, without passion, without engaging your heart. And God is looking. He's a man who looks at the heart. That's what he said to the prophet Samuel. God doesn't look at the outward appearance. And, and sometimes I believe in the kingdom and in church life, we present ourselves in a great way, but our heart is disconnected. And Jesus says, that's not a great place to be, because actually you become false. And hypocrisy, literally, the Greek word for hypocrite means one who weighs, wears a mask. It was, the, it was the word they used to use when they were acting in Greek theatre. And so sometimes in Greek theater, they'd put on a happy mask. Sometimes they'd put on a sad mask to let you know what the actor was feeling. And, 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 and this word hypocrisy, the root of it is, is somebody who wears a mask. In other words, there's no real connection with how you truly are on the inside. And, and Jesus is saying, when it comes to this type of worship, it says, and in vain they worship me, teaching the, uh, as doctrines the commandments of men. Uh, The New American Standard Bible says this, they teach tradition learned by rote. Tradition learned by rote. You know, when I was growing up in church, I learned a tradition of how we should worship by rote, by going every week and watching everyone else. Okay, this is what we do. I remember one time when I was leading a church here in Colchester, we we produced little business cards about our church, and we, we wrote the kinds of things that were going on there, teaching, uh, worship preaching fun and a pastor wrote to me said church is not meant to be fun and I got a rebuke and I thought wow well, you know what kind of image and impression are we giving to the world and what are we giving what impression are we giving to the next generation you know what I love about what went on down the front here this morning is the next generation are engaging with all their hearts and listen when you engage with your heart you engage with your body Did you catch that? When you engage with your heart, it affects every part of your being. It's impossible to engage with your heart and not engage with your body. That's why athletes or actors or people who are in professional circles, often they'll have somebody who will say to them, put more heart into it. And, and (laughs) And what they mean is put more efforts where you fully express what I'm looking for. And when you put your heart, when your heart is wholehearted, when it's fully engaged, it affects the way. I mean, can you imagine some of the movie scenes that we, we get? You know, like some of the really romantic movie scenes. You know, where the guy's declaring his love to the girl and he, he said something like this. You're so inspiring. And I love you so deeply. <laughs> and it's like... It's like, you, you sound like you've just eaten a meal you didn't want to eat. <laughs> and it's, it's like, if, you, if those words are sincere, if those words have any real meaning, wouldn't you say them differently? And when Jesus came into Jerusalem and the children began to declare and shout Hosanna to the son of David, the Pharisees got so upset with them. And, and Jesus turned around and he said, haven't you read out of the mouth of babes and infants you've ordained praise? And, and then later on, you know, in the same, he's entering Jerusalem, That his disciples begin to cry out as well. And the Pharisee says, tell them to shut up. And he says, if I tell them to stop, the rocks themselves will cry out. And, and Jesus is receiving this worship. He's receiving these wholehearted declarations, these shouts of praise. He's, he's receiving it. He's saying, no, I'm not going to stop it. No, I'm not going to silence it. No, because this is appropriate. Because the king is entering. And when the king comes here, you know, there's a story in Luke chapter, I think it's in Luke 21, where Jesus is watching people give. Can you believe that? Like they're putting money into the treasury. And so Jesus walks up and he's just watching. That's a little intimidating, isn't it? Like if, if the offering basket went round and Barry just followed it, just. I'm okay. can, you, can you imagine how intimidating that would be it's like oh the pastor's watching how much I give and Jesus is there at the treasury watching and all of a sudden a widow comes in and she puts in two little copper coins and he says hang on a minute stop everyone this woman and then he points to all the others has given more than everyone else here because she gave out of her lack and they gave out of their abundance. And he actually makes a comment on giving. It's like, oh my goodness. I'm just thinking to myself, I'm a pastor of a church. Would I ever do that? No. It's like, well, you say that was Jesus. Yeah. But okay, so Jesus is watching our giving. Here's a thought for you. What would happen if Jesus was watching our worship? Well, he is. Matthew 18 says, wherever two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst. So right now he's here and he's present by his spirit. And just as he looked at the widow and commented on her giving, I wonder what comment he would make about your worship. I'm not going to make a comment because I can't know your heart. I don't know where you are on the journey. Now, I know for some people, because of where they've come from, I know for some people, just to be able to sing out loud passionately is a huge step for them. I know for other people, to raise their hand is a huge step. It's a step of freedom for them. I know for other people, to jump up and down and dance, that's an amazing step of freedom for them. And the people who are singing passionately can't take the jumping step yet. But here's my point, or here's the thought I want you to capture. Are you moving towards and forward in your worship of Jesus or are you are you somebody who said to yourself no this is where I am and this is what I'm comfortable with are are you allowing scripture and the examples of scripture to provoke you and if Jesus was to make a comment about your worship would he say yeah it's lip service or would he say no this person's wholehearted you see you don't need to jump to be wholehearted But you need to fully engage who you are in the moment with where you are in your journey. Do you get that? Okay, so let's read some scriptures, just some things to inspire you. Here's David in Psalm 9, verse 1 and 2. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. What comes out of that? I will tell of your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoicing you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Isn't that amazing? So here's David in the Psalms. He says, God, I'm telling you, I am going to be wholehearted in my praise of you. And guess what? When you're wholehearted in praise, it's easy to talk about who God is and how great God is. See, if you're not wholehearted in praise, talking about God is embarrassing because you're so self-conscious and you're so conscious about how people are going to judge you, you're not free enough to do it. But when you engage your whole heart in worship, you don't care what people think. You declare his wonderful works. Here's what he says in Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Hey, you know what I try and encourage our church to do? I try and encourage them. Whatever row you're sitting in, Be the wholehearted worshiper in that row. Because you know what it does? It provokes everyone else. Have you ever been next to somebody who's just really passionate? It's like they're ahead of you in the game of worship. It's like, whoa, you're free. And it provokes you to perhaps, hmm, maybe I'll try that. It's like if everyone around you is jumping, it's really hard to stay still. It's really hard have you ever watched all those starlings thousands of starlings fly and move together you know how they do that they follow the seven birds around them can you imagine if one starling said i'm not doing that i'm going to be my own little starling well good for you you're going to crash and burn but but if you just go with the flow it just becomes beautiful it becomes expressive that says that in the Psalms. The, the Bible says praise from the upright is beautiful. That's how God sees it. Here's, an, here's a final one for you Psalm 138. I will praise you with my whole heart. Before the gods, I will sing praises to you. You know what I love about that scripture? David's saying, I'm going to praise you with my whole heart, and I don't care who's watching before the gods, before the principalities and powers, before all those gods that other people worship, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to declare your greatness in the midst of your people. And that's what I love about what you guys did yesterday. I I said to Barry over coffee this morning, I said, what you guys are doing is absolutely inspirational. It's inspirational because you're declaring the praises of God. And guess what? unbelievers are worshipping and from what I saw in the video they're doing a better job than some of the Christians in church how do you feel about that don't you feel provoked don't you feel like what I'm going to let an unbeliever outdo me in praise I don't think so and you know the thing is you've got to let go sometimes of your mindset of your your baggage sometimes of your own journey And the traditions of men that you've learned about, this is how you behave in church. You know, David, when he brought the ark into Jerusalem, he took off his royal robes. In other words, when he was worshipping, he didn't want people to see a king worshipping. He wanted them to see a worshipper worshipping. And his wife, Michal, she despised him in her heart. That's what the Bible says. She looked down on that and she spoke against it. And David was returning home, by the way, to bless his household. He was so full of God and so full of the blessing of God and the presence of God. He says, I've got to go home and bless my family now. And the first thing she did was rebuke him and judge him and despise him in her heart. And David just reminded her, well, I just want to tell you, the Lord chose me above your dad. (laughs) (laughs) And the maids that you said will look down on me. Because I embarrass myself, quote unquote, they're going to hold me in honor. God received his worship. It was wholehearted. He was dancing before the Lord as a worshiper, not just as a king. Do You get it? So so here's a few thoughts for you. I I, I believe that there's a number of things that happen. I've observed this in life, in church life. Over time, people disconnect. Either they disconnect from church. And then they disconnect from God. Or they disconnect from God and then they disconnect from church. Over the 40 years I've been involved in ministry, that's what I've observed. And one of the reasons that that happened, or get, let me give you three reasons that it happens. It, it, it's through three different things. The first thing is distractions. So in other words, here you are, you've got this, you're cultivating this relationship with God. You're cultivating being connected to God's people. And the enemy hates that. He hates the journey that you're on. He doesn't want you to get closer to God. He doesn't want you to get closer to God's people. Because the more that happens, the more, the more authentic you become. The more free you become. The more you actually connect with your destiny. And the more you become the person God intended you to be. So the enemy wants to put a gap. He wants to put a gap there. He wants to put distance. He wants to bring separation. Separation between you and God. Separation between you and God's people. And one of the ways he does that is through distractions. Do you know sometimes a relationship can become a distraction? Now now listen, I'm I'm all for relationships. I'm talking about romantic relationships now. Okay? I'm all for romantic relationships. You know, it's not good for a man to be alone. Now if you have the grace, Jesus said there is a grace for singleness. He had it. Paul had it. A few others had it. There is a grace. It's a gift. But, but most of the time, God wants people to connect. But here's, here's a thought for you. You can tell when a relationship is healthy because when you begin that relationship, you begin to love God more and you begin to love being in God's presence more and you begin to love being in God, with God's people more. But when you begin a relationship that's a distraction, guess what? It begins to separate you from those things. Must we go to church? Can't we do this? you have to read your Bible all the time? And sometimes we get into relationships that are just not healthy for us. And the danger is that out of our need for companionship, we cultivate a relationship that becomes a distraction. And I would just say to you, you know, anything can be a distraction. Hey, listen, sport can be a distraction. Anything can become a distraction. Music can become a distraction. It can be a great joy in your life. It can can bring you pleasure. It can be a great thing. But here's my question. Does it draw you closer to God or does it draw you away from him? Does it draw you closer to God's people? Or does it create distance between them? What is in your world that's distracting you? Uh, I don't know how many of you remember that great movie from 1999, The Matrix. I heard they're making Matrix 4. I hope they do a better job than 2 and 3. But the first Matrix one, is it's brilliant. He's, he's in the Matrix for the very first time, and he's walking down the street, and then a woman in a red dress comes by. You know, and, and as she walks by, he turns around, and he's looking at her. because She stands out from the crowd. And then he's looking back at, at Morpheus. And Morpheus says, well, did you notice the woman in that red dress? he said, oh, "Oh, yeah, turn around again. And when he turns around, it's one of the Sentinels. It was a distraction. It was a distraction. How many of you know when you're driving at 150 kilometers an hour, you don't need a distraction? You drive on a fast car. Recently, I went on the Mercedes World racetrack. I was there in a very fast uh, AMG Series sports car. I had a Formula One driver who took me around three or four times, training me and teaching me. And then uh, I was let loose. How many of you know that requires 100% concentration? How many of you know Lewis Hamilton is not listening to his iPod when he's doing a Formula One race? Okay. I know some of you, when you go training, you've got, you got your earphones and you've got your iPod. That's because you're not at a level where you could die. But, but the higher you raise the stakes, the more distractions become a possibility of of robbing you of what's what's needed. I want to just say, come on, don't allow distraction to divide your heart, to divide you on the inside where your affection is now partly for God and now partly for this. David said in the Psalms, unite my heart to fear your name, O God. Um, I, I think one day he looked out over the balcony and he got distracted. He saw Bathsheba. It always made me laugh that Bathsheba was taking a bath. Actually, the word bath is part of her name. I don't know. I always found that really amusing when I was at Bible college. Bathsheba. Okay. Anyway, he looked at her and he thought, that looks good. Uh, And he got distracted. Here's the second thing I think that causes people to disconnect from God or disconnect from church disappointments. Disappointments. How many of you know? Thus says the Lord, you will be disappointed. (laughs) How many of you know, a disappointment is simply an expectation that was unfulfilled. And the issue is not, was I disappointed? The issue is this, how did I handle the disappointment? And you see, sometimes when you get disappointed, if you don't process it properly, if you don't let the grace of God come into your life, if you don't perhaps release forgiveness to someone who disappointed you, if you don't allow your heart to fully engage and say, yeah, I was disappointed, but I need to process this disappointment. If you don't do that properly, what happens is the disappointment takes root. And then the disappointment itself becomes a distraction. And then the disappointment itself can lead to anger, to unforgiveness, to bitterness. to to despair, to giving up, and everybody in life is allowed to be disappointed, but you're not allowed to let that disappointment grow into despair. You're not allowed to do that. You have to process your disappointment. Listen, Jesus was disappointed with his disciples all the time. He said things like this, how long must I be with you? Like, he's been teaching them how to do healing and deliverance. And he comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17. And there's his disciples trying to cast out a demon. And the father says, they just couldn't do it. And Jesus says, how long must I be with you? Bring him to me. If that isn't a sign of disappointment, guys, you should be further on than you are right now. And so, you know, James and John come to him, want to call down fire from heaven, destroy a village. Now, if you're Jesus, you know, what would you? It's like, oh, (laughs) Jeepers. It's like, let's go through this one more time. The Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Repeat after me. The Garden of Gethsemane, his greatest trial. And he comes to them and he says, couldn't you pray with me for one hour? But Jesus did not allow disappointments to become despair or resentment. He trusted in his father. And he constantly released forgiveness to people who let him down. He didn't hold it against them. I want to say to you, over the years, I've met Christians, and I can't believe some of the stuff they talk to me about. I say, well, when did this happen? And I'm expecting them to say last week, last month. They say, oh, 20 years ago. I say, what? What Bible are you reading? You've lived with that for 20 years. Come on. It's time to grow up. It's time to deal with your disappointments. Listen, if I was somebody who lived in disappointment, I wouldn't be in ministry today. I wouldn't be. In, not only have I been disappointed in other people, I've been more disappointed in myself. I love that movie of Jim Carrey, Liar, Liar. Do you like that movie? The courtroom scene? Where he's he's talking to the judge and he says, I manipulated the system. This is a good man. It shouldn't be happening to them. And the judge looks at him and he says, Sir, I hold you in contempt. And he says, I hold myself in contempt. (laughs) It's just a great line in the movie. It's like, you can't think any worse of me than I think of myself. And that's how it is sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes the person we're most disappointed with is ourselves. I should have done better. I shouldn't have said that. I should have said this. I should have been courageous there. I was a coward there. I should have spoken up there. And sometimes we're so disappointed in ourselves that we don't give ourselves a break and realize we have a Savior and his name is Jesus and he's not disappointed. He forgives us. He empowers us. He restores us. I love the words of Jesus to Peter when he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you. He might sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you. And, and when, you're, when you're converted, strengthen your brothers. He prophesies into his destiny at his worst moment in life. He says, you're going to get so disappointed with yourself. And, and Peter is all, you know, he's so bullshy after that, isn't he? It's like Jesus gives in his prophecy and says, Lord, I'm going to go with you even unto death. As a Jesus kind of unpacks the prophecy, you know, actually you're going to deny three times that you know me. That's 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 the sifting. But I I have gone beyond my disappointment in what you're about to do, and I see the destiny in your life, and I'm gonna speak into your destiny, not into the thing where you've let me down. What would happen if as a church we started doing stuff like that? With people who let, let, who, who let us down, instead of cutting them off, we started to pray over them and we started to pray restoration and we started to prophesy to their destiny. Wow, what kind of church would that look like? And you see, sometimes disappointment holds us back. So we bring our disappointment to church and people say, come on, let's worship the Lord. Yeah, I don't feel like it today. You don't know what I've been through. And we go into victim mentality. <laughs> come on you've been there <laughs> poor me <laughs> and it's like come on you've got to break out of that D- don't don't live as a victim don't live in your disappointment but rather if you need to make an adjustment about your expectations I like what David said he said hoping God my hope is in the Lord because people will let you down here's the final thing Sometimes we disconnect from church or from God because of distraction, sometimes because of disappointments, sometimes because of disobedience. Come on, we've all been a bit naughty from time to time, haven't we? Haven't we? we all do things we know we shouldn't do. It's like Paul said this in Romans 7, the good that I would do, I do not do. The evil that I would not do, I find myself doing, a wretched man that I am. We've all been there. And sometimes when you live in disobedience, the issue is can you respond to the conviction that comes after disobedience and put it right and say, you're right, Lord. Nathan came to David and said, thou art the man. David was good at making moral judgments, except about himself. (laughs) And Then Nathan came with that word and it's like, Oh, my goodness, against you, Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. He recognized he'd been disobedient. There's a time when he went down to king, the king of the Philistines. And he was there for a period of 16 months, one year and four months, the Bible says. And it wasn't a great period. It was a dark period in David's life. And then suddenly God burnt Ziglag. Everything he'd built up over that period went up in smoke. (laughs) Do you know, sometimes the kindest thing God can do to us is let everything we've built out of disobedience disappear. That's what 1 Corinthians 3 says anyway. It's wood, hay, and stubble. It'll be burned. So sometimes the kindest thing God can do is destroy everything you built out of disobedience. Because when that happened, the Bible says... That David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And then it says he inquired of the Lord. So for the first time in one year and four months, he inquired of God. What did he do? He began to worship. He began to worship. And and I want to just say, come on. Don't let distractions, don't let disappointments, don't let disobedience distance you from who God is. Or distance you from God's people. Have you noticed sometimes when someone lets you down, you'll sit on this side of church and they'll sit on that side of church? Have you you noticed that one yet? Or, you know, you sort of avoid contact with certain people. Friends, that's not healthy. You can do that for a week or two while you're processing things. That's fine. But don't make that a year or two or ten years. Don't do that. That's unhealthy for you. And what it does is it divides your heart. God is looking for wholehearted engagement to him. Here's, here's another one for you. Um, Jesus, uh, it's in Psalm 96. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Psalm 96, one to four. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He's to be feared above all the gods so many times in the psalms we're told to engage in wholehearted declarations of praise and worship it it even says in, in i think it's in psalm 47 um shout to the lord shout clap your hands all you people shout to the lord with a voice of triumph can you imagine that clapping is not something we just do for great theater performances We do it when God is present in that midst. And I just want to encourage you, wherever you are in your journey of expressing wholehearted praise to God, continue on the journey and perhaps take a step further and go to a place maybe you've never been before. Maybe you're one of those people who just very rarely raises your hands. Just decide when I'm with God's people and we're told to raise our hands, I'm going to raise my hands. David said in the Psalms, I will lift up my hand to your name. When the priest wanted to bless people, he would lift up his hands and he would declare, the Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. They would lift up their hands and do that and bless the people. When Jesus, before he ascended, what did he do? He lifted his hands and he blessed his disciples. Lifting your hands is a sign of blessing. It's a sign of openness. It's a sign of surrender. Psalm 150. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let me say it another way. Let everything that has spirit praise the Lord. Because breath, numah, ruach, is also Spirit. And God wants wholehearted spirit. Those who worship Him must worship Him in breath and in truth. You get it? Let's stand together. I'm going to pray for you. If you're here today, I just want to tell you you were made for worship. It's why you can't go a concert to a concert and not clap and not cheer and not shout encore. It's why you can't go to a football match, and get caught up with the crowd, and raise your hands, and sing. It's why when we're together, something in us desires to engage, with the moment of what is happening. And our king is in our midst. He's present here. And just like he's looking out, at the woman who gave, he's looking at every worshiper. Do you know the last thing Jesus did in the Lord's Supper? And you can read it there in Matthew's Gospel. It says they sang a hymn and then they went out. But the hymns that they sang were part of the Passover hymns. It meant that they had to sing Psalm 113, Psalm 114, Psalm 115, Psalm 116, Psalm 117 and Psalm 118. The last thing that Jesus did before he was arrested was to worship with his disciples. The halal Passover Psalms. Fortunately, Psalm 117 is only four lines. And then on the cross, what is Jesus doing? Well, he's singing. Because Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is a psalm. And how does that psalm end? Well, it ends with John nineteen thirty, where Jesus declared, it is finished. Psalm 22 ends like this, for he has done it. Psalm 22 in verse 3 says this, But you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. And in that entire song that Jesus is declaring, It's about the greatness of God to deliver his servant and that he is present. It begins, why have you forsaken me? And then the rest of the psalm says, actually, you're there, you're present, you're with me, you surround me, you'll deliver me, for he has done it. This is our worshipping Jesus. I believe he wants us to be a worshipping people. If you're here this morning, you've never said yes to Jesus. He's your creator. He's your savior. He's the one who loves you. He's the one who died for you. And he's the only one who can truly forgive you. Everything in life that you look at, where you want to beat yourself up because of all the bad things you did and all the good things you didn't do. The opportunities you missed. Jesus is here to give you a brand new beginning and help you fulfill your destiny. And just with every head bowed and eye closed, if you've never done this before, maybe you did it a long time ago, but you got disconnected. Maybe because of being distracted. Maybe because of being disappointed. Maybe because of being disobedient. I don't know, but God knows. This is your moment to get reconnected. If you know you need Jesus in your life right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want you to lift your hand up high. We're going to pray later. And you're letting me know, yeah, I need that connection. I need God in my life. Lift it up high. Let me see it. You're saying, yeah, this is for me. God bless you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. Anyone else? We're saying yes to Jesus this morning. Yes to new life. Yes to new beginnings. God bless you. Thank you, sir. is what i want us to do just as a church we're going to pray out loud together and then i'm going to pray for the rest of the congregation so say these words after me father in heaven heaven. say it louder Father father in heaven thank you for sending jesus thank you for his death on the cross that paid for all of my sins thank you for his resurrection that guarantees my future and my forgiveness today I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and He's my Lord can we give God a big clap one more thing if you're a believer here today and you know you got distracted you got disappointed or you were disobedient over something you don't have to identify what that is God sees it All I want you to do right now is put your hand on your heart and I'm going to pray for you that the Holy Spirit is going to do something very special for you in the coming days that lie ahead. So Father, you see every person in this room. You know their story. You know their journey. You know the things that have been a hindrance to them. You know whether it was a distraction, or whether it was a disappointment, or whether it was just disobedience. But I thank you that your grace is sufficient to bring about restoration. Lord, where we've held on to things in a way that's been unhealthy for us. And created distance between you and your people. Right now, we say we repent of it. We put it to one side and we don't want that distance any longer. We put aside the disappointment. We say we're going to forgive. We're going to let it go. We're going to readjust our expectations. We're going to pray for those who've despitefully used us and spoken against us. We're going to be like Jesus. We're not going to be disobedient any longer. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. We ask for your grace to empower us. And we ask that we would be wholehearted in our love and our devotion to you. Jesus mighty name and all God's people said Amen. amen thank you so much for receiving me today friends God bless you